Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and my co-host, Haley Chura, is not with us in person this week, but we do. We will check in with her a little bit later in the episode. The reason is that Haley and I both are racing these weeks, and so it's a little bit tricky with schedules to find time to travel and also record the podcast when we're in totally different time zones and countries and things like that. Haley was racing the 70.3 world championships in Nice, France, and I just raced Ironman, Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and I'm actually getting ready to race again this weekend in Deep Creek, Maryland at Savage Man Triathlon. So with everything we have going on, hopefully you'll forgive us that this episode is going to flow a little bit differently. But again, we'll hear from Haley a little bit shortly, but I wanted to tell you about my race this week and let you know how that went. So it was my third time racing in Madison, Wisconsin, and I do absolutely love it there. I took the opportunity to head out there. I mentioned last week on the podcast that I was actually already in Madison because I had the good fortune of being set up with a really, really great homestay there. And that allowed me to be there early and just get my bearings back on the course, get a little, you know, relaxed and settle into Madison. Sometimes if you go to a race, obviously, you know, just a couple days before things are just very hectic. So I took the the opportunity when it presented itself to be able to have that lead in go a little bit more relaxed, which was good. And so I went into race day feeling very good. We actually had a very full pro women's field, you know, um, 
typically I think in years past, like these months going into 70.3 world championship racing, Kona world championships, you know, in Hawaii racing, like a lot of the races after mid August into September through October would be just a little bit, you know, smaller fields that like potentially less deep even um, in terms of competition. And I can assure you that that is no longer the case. If you look at racing that's been happening across the board in these past few weeks, like the women are showing up and they are getting after it no matter the time of the season. So it was really encouraging to see. I think we had about 14 women on the start line and that was larger than the men's field by quite a few. So that was really exciting. I'm excited to see that swing in things. And I absolutely think that will continue to happen as we keep growing the sport and doing what we are doing here at Iron Women and growing that community. But back to the race. So the swim in Madison was something that happens in Madison actually quite often. And I tend to forget this. And that is with a little bit of wind, Lake Monona, really that chop picks up. So we, uh, it's a one loop swim course. And I knew going out with the waves kind of pushing us out to the turnaround point, I was like, oh man, this is, this is going to be an interesting swim back. And it is, you, you make one turn and then a second turn, and then you have about a mile straight stretch. And that was directly into the chop. So it was quite a slow, choppy swim. And I have, as you guys may know from listening, I have been working on my open water swim a lot this summer. Unfortunately, where I swim open water in Virginia here, we don't get the opportunity to have like very windy days out there. So the chop was something that I really had to just put my head down and kind of grip my way through. Um, that's definitely my least favorite swim conditions. You know, some people I think find it fun. I find it to be a lot of work. So it was tough. It felt like I was out there for forever and talking to people after the race. I think that was a sentiment we all kind of shared, but happy to get out onto the bike. And I do Love the rollers of Madison, even with the wind that was there on Sunday, which presented an extra challenge. I think that course is just very engaging. It's very interesting. It's beautiful. And it's a lot of fun to ride. And I had a really good time getting to see people out there. There's a lot of support on the course at a couple big hills, which is amazing. Got to see some of my Team SFQ uh, teammates out there cheering. And it's just a very very fun bike ride I find that last 10 or so 15 miles into the headwind wasn't as fun but uh, we got through it and on to the run which again like running through the city of Madison starting at the Capitol building running out through campus you actually get to take a lap through Camp Randall which is the the stadium which is super fun. Um, the University of Wisconsin, you get to run along another lake path that's in the city there and you get to see all sorts of people. You get to see your competition. You get to see a lot of other people out there racing and the support is just second to none. And I have to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who is out there who made me almost feel like I was racing a hometown race. Like I think with the podcast fans out there, you guys are awesome and really gave me my own cheering section, which I so, so appreciated and really needed. Special shout out to Carly. I think, I think I met Carly on the internet, like back when 
maybe through Wazell or something. And she was out there with a sign for me that had Wandlin on it. And for those of you listening who listened last summer during my long trail FKT project, that was kind of the name of that whole thing. And when I saw that, it was just like tears in my eyes and I, it just really made me happy. So thank you, Carly, for that. And also my homestay family was part of the organizing crew for the aid station back on the Lake Point Lake Path before you do the out and back. And I got to see them a bunch. And just I can't say enough about <laughs> the city of Madison, how great it is, how fun it is to race in Madison. So if you are thinking about doing an Ironman, haven't been to Madison yet, I highly suggest going there. And like I said, so I I think I came my brace personally. Let's see. I I came off the bike in eighth place, I think, and felt like, okay, I, you know, I have, I have a good run in me. And as I came through the first loop, I, you do, you get to see your competition. And so I took a look and I could see a couple women who were about a mile and a half ahead of me at that point, um, walking through the aid station. And that's definitely something that kind of revs you up when you're racing because you're like, okay, clearly they're not feeling great. Like maybe I can run them down. So I spent the next half of the loops so of the next 10 K or so really trying to like rev the engines, use the little bit of downhill that you get at that point and go for it to try and catch them. And I wasn't catching anyone. I was like, where are these people? Um, I wasn't seeing them on any of the out and backs and by that point, I had reached mile 20, and as we all know, that's a very difficult part in a marathon, especially an Ironman marathon, and so I really, you know, I thought maybe they rallied. I didn't know what happened, and certainly in the back of my mind was the fact that this race was giving prize money to sixth place, and so, you know, it was a long, hard day if I wasn't going to get a paycheck out of it, so... I was having a bit of a low moment. And again, I ran into some support, actually one of Haley's friends, um, Betty out on course. And, and she yelled at me that I was in the money. And I kind of was like, man, she could be wrong, but maybe she's right. Like maybe I've missed something. And so that really helped me turn around and push hard into the finish line. And sure enough, I had raced my way into sixth place as happens with tough courses like Madison people often will drop and you know that course can really just get to the better of people and you see it every year it's, it happens pretty consistently on courses like that and I got to be on you know the bright side of that and ended up the sixth place female pro which I'm I'm quite happy with so congratulations to all the other women that I was out there racing with a super fun day congratulations to Lindsay Corbin who won and Haley and I talked to Lindsay about three months ago and let's see season nine episode five but it was about three months ago if you haven't listened to that Iron Women episode yet and in that she did she talked to us about how last year she raced Wisconsin before going into Kona and how clearly that worked out so she was giving it a go this year and I think she was quite close like to the day she had there last year. And given the conditions we had this year, I would say Lindsay is in fine form heading into Kona. So I'll be excited to watch her race out there as well. As I said, I am going to be turning around and racing again this weekend at Savage Man. It's a fun three-day racing extravaganza. So you guys will get to hear all about that next week. And I have had a lot of 
you know, not a lot, but people kind of wonder how I do this back to back racing, how I make it through. And I just have to give a shout out to Noon Hydration, which is a sponsor of mine and the podcast. And you can get 30% off with the code Iron Women. But Noon plays a huge part in how I am able to race back to back like this and feel good and feel strong. I think, you know, the two pieces that really, uh, well, three, I would say one, the training (laughs) that goes into it Two, a big focus on sleep in between these race weeks. I think, you know, I really try to make sure I do have life kind of set up in such a way that I'm ahead with work. I'm ahead with something. So I can prioritize sleep sometimes more than it, it might get in other times. And the third thing is hydration and electrolytes. I think, you know, sipping on the noon all through the week, using noon rest before bedtime. And I also use noon immunity during like heavy volume and race weeks as well. So going into race week, especially if there's travel, I'm, I'm taking a noon immunity every day, absolutely after the race and going into this next race, I am as well. And Again, I just think that plays a huge part in keeping me healthy and allowing me race back to back. And I'm excited to tell you guys how it goes next week. So again, you can try out any of those Noon Hydration products for yourself at NoonLife.com and the code IRONWOMEN will get you 30% off. Now that you've heard all about my day in Madison, we will hear from our own Haley Chur about how things have been going over in Nice, France. Hey everyone, this is Haley calling from Nice, France, where I just raced the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. Hopefully you were able to follow the race online and see some of the gorgeous scenery. And I think a few of you were even on course here in France, either racing or cheering. And I met a couple listeners. So thank you for saying hello. And and I am really, really thankful for everyone who you know, yelled a cheer my way on Saturday. In case you missed the pro women's race, Daniela Reef put up an incredible performance to claim her fifth 70.3 world championship title. Holly Lawrence and Imogen Cinnamons rounded out the podium with really spectacular performances on a very challenging course. I finished in 26th place, and when I talk about my own performance, I would just say that I had a really solid swim and run, and although I thought I was prepared for the demands of the bike course on race day, I struggled more than I expected, especially on the long descent in the second half of the course. That said, I'm I'm still really proud of myself for attempting a course that didn't really suit my strengths, and in doing that, I think I really got rewarded by being able to see an absolutely gorgeous part of the world and to race alongside some truly world-class athletes. I'm inspired and ready to get back to training because I know I can do better next time. But I can't say enough good things about Nice as a venue. Everyone was super nice, very welcoming. The food was amazing. And between the croissants and the post-race swims in the Mediterranean, I can say that recovery is going very, very well. 
And I know that me calling in with a voicemail isn't Alyssa and my typical post-race debrief. So if any of you have specific questions about the race in Nice, definitely send us an email to our mailbag. That is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be sure to get to it in a future episode once I'm back in the United States. Thanks again for bearing with us as we travel from our respective races. And thank you again for everyone who cheered for me online and on the ground in France. Okay, Haley, thanks for checking in. And as always, you are number one here at Iron Women, and we are so proud of you. And safe travels home. I can't wait to be chatting with you again next week. Some other quick housekeeping items from us over here at Iron Women. The deadline is September 13th to apply for the scholarship opportunity to attend the Outspoken Summit in Tempe, Arizona, November 15th to 17th. And so if you are looking to apply to that, please head to outspokensummit.com and you can take a list, look at the list of all of the speakers, the lineup they have. It's going to be amazing. And you can apply for the scholarship opportunities at the website there. And finally, I would like to introduce our amazing interview for this week's episode. We are chatting with Nicole Valentine and Nicole is a fellow Smashfest Queen Noon Hydration team member with myself and Haley. She's based in Boulder, Colorado. And in our chat with Nicole, she talks to us about all of the things. Her decision to race as a professional, racing Xterra and Ironman. Her most recent success at the Leadville 100 mile mountain bike ride. And we get insight into what motivates, drives and inspires Nicole. I have a feeling that her stories are only going to do the same for you, and you guys are really going to love this interview. So we'll hear from Nicole after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be on the show with you ladies. Well, we're really excited to have you here. And I have to lead off by saying a huge congratulations because you just finished as the fourth professional female at the Leadville 100 mile mountain bike race. And your time of nine hours, 23 minutes is pretty comparable to the duration of an Ironman. So can you tell us how does a day on the bike at Leadville compare to Ironman racing for you? 
<laughs> Thank you. Well, you know what? It is very different, I have to say. And the biggest thing about Leadville, at least for me, was the altitude compared to any of the Ironman races I've done. And I have done some, you know, in France and in Europe where you are climbing high. But uh, in Leadville, you start at 10,000 feet and climb up to 13,000 feet on Columbine. And I have to say, during that climb and then the whole second half of the race, I felt sick, like super sick because of the altitude. I just wanted to puke the entire time. And I remember thinking, this is awful. This is worse than an Ironman, even though I, I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, it was grueling. It was rough. And then climbing on the mountain bike is super physical. It's not nearly as smooth as a road bike ride. So you're using your arms, you're using your shoulders, you're using your back. My back was killing me by the end of it. I mean, I, that finish line could not come soon enough. <laughs> it was rough. And Nicole, this wasn't your first time at Leadville. You, you actually finished 11th in your age group back in 2015, but a lot has changed since then. You've taken your pro card and triathlon, raced your way onto the professional podium at races like Ironman France and Ironman Louisville. So what made you decide to return to Leadville this time as a pro? And did you do anything different this time to help with the altitude? Or do you have any suggestions for anyone who is racing at altitude in the future on things you do different? I have to say, I think it was a learning experience for me with the altitude as well. Having raced it before, for some reason, I think I mentally blocked out uh, the feeling of being sick the whole time. The first time I did it in 2011, I really just wanted to finish. At that point, I had only ever mountain biked 60 miles. And I thought, I have no idea if I can finish this thing. I'm going to go for it. And it was the most incredible and rewarding experience of my life, which is what motivated me to come back this year. And I had gone up for weekends in Leadville to train and train on the course. I felt sufficiently prepared. However, you know, given how I felt on race day, I would definitely recommend. And next time for training and preparation, I would certainly spend at least a month at altitude, at high altitude, uh, if not longer, to fully prepare the body for that. Um, because I definitely felt like I was not quite sufficiently prepared this year. It was really a lot rougher than I would have liked it to be. And Nicole, I think that you've raced in these the, the Leadville races as part of a team, right? So with First Ascents. And you participate with them as a trainer. So can you tell us a little bit more about this program and like how that motivation kind of maybe did, was that in your brain, you know, during the 100 mile ride when it starts out and it's terrible and you're like, oh, man. But like, did that kind of help keep you, you going for a while? Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, the number one reason that I participated in Leadville back in 2015 and that I've been up there every year as a trainer and have come back to the race this year was to support First Descent. So it is an incredible organization. It provides outdoor wilderness experiences for young adults who have undergone and suffered cancer or are currently undergoing treatments. And it just gives them an opportunity to get outside, to play, to have fun, 
with other young adults that are experiencing the same thing. And so, you know, it, it is an organization that's very special to me. When I was younger, my brother was diagnosed with cancer and I watched him go through that experience. And it was so incredibly hard to watch someone you love, you know, go through that and feel really powerless to help them. And so I think coming out of that I I wanted to find a way to give back and to help others. And I found endurance sports as being my outlet and my way to do that. And and the support um, of First Descents and that organization has been just a a great way for me to feel like I'm able to help in my own way uh, and support others going through that experience. And what about the difference between racing as an age grouper and a professional in a mountain bike race? Is there a difference (laughs) Yes, I have to say there absolutely is. And the biggest difference for me was starting in the front of the pack versus starting in the back at Leadville. You have a very large field this year. It was about 1400 racers. And when you're mountain biking, you get on single track. So there is a whole game of passing people and position is very important. And there's, there's different tactics with that. However, the first part of the course starts out and is pretty wide open. So starting in the front with a lot of really experienced, skilled, fast riders was a lot of fun. And I was able to work with them and we were able to kind of use some tactics to take turns pulling and moving as a group fast, uh, which was completely different than when I had raced as an age grouper in the back and really um, had to go around other people that were kind of hiking their bike in more technical sections. This year it was fast and furious from the get-go, and I think that might have led to the the wanting to puke for the whole second half of the race. It probably was a contributing factor, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And, you know, while we're on the topic of comparing the 2015 to the 2019 race, you know, we had talked a little bit about Leadville and your experiences and stuff. And one thing that stands out is how the race is really trying to grow their women's field. So can you tell us about the changes you've noticed since you raced the first time? Yeah, it's certainly noticeable. When I raced Leadville in 2015, I remember kind of looking around and seeing so few females. And actually, I was, you know, wearing my sponsor kit from Smash, which was bright and floral and black and pink and like very eye catching. And people took notice when I raced that year. And I had people coming up to me and like a few other women in the field saying, I love your kid and way to be out there. And we saw you riding past us and you were such a strong rider. And I got a lot of attention being a female in the field and working my way up from the back to the front that year. And then I remember at the award ceremony, they may mention that the field, I believe, was around 40 females, quite small. And they actually gave us each necklaces as well as the infamous belt buckles. And they said, you know, in special recognition of our women out there, we're giving you these necklaces. So they made a point of actually drawing attention to the fact that there were so few. And then this year, I noticed they made a point in drawing attention to the fact that they were very proud that they felt like the field size almost doubled from last year to this year. Last year, they had around um, 80 females. This year, it was over 140 females. And they had started an initiative, which they called Women Ride the World. 
And they had Rebecca Rush on a panel and a number of notable female mountain bikers, you know, kind of encouraging others to come out, talking about the race, talking about race preparation, and really, you know, trying to make it more inclusive and a little bit less intimidating. Do you know, I know the Leadville 100 run is a lottery system to enter. Is that how the mountain bike works as well? And do you know, like, are they setting aside lottery spots for women, that kind of thing? Or like, are they, do you know any of that background? So with the mountain bike, you can either qualify through a number of mountain bike races leading up to Leadville, and that will get you a good corral position closer to the front if you do well. Silver Rush is one of those qualifying races. Barn Burner, which is coming up shortly, is another one of those qualifying races. And then there's also the lottery system or a charity organization. So those are the three ways in. Now, I have not heard anything specifically about them setting aside a certain number of lottery spots for females. As far as I know, they are just drawing names for that. But maybe we're seeing more women entering the lottery, which is a great thing. More women entering, more women winning, more women on the race course, and more bright kits out there. I'm all supportive of the bright kits. Um, Nicole, you mentioned first descents and your brother's fight with cancer and how, you know, watching other people's battles really gave you a lot of strength and has led to some of your success in endurance sports. But... It was actually during your own recovery from a tragic accident during your senior year of high school that first lit that Ironman flame. So you blogged about the accident without sharing too many details other than you were told you may never walk again. So are you comfortable talking about the accident and sharing you know, that story of recovery with us? Yes, certainly. I'm happy to. So really, you know, my entry into endurance sports came you know, first through through watching my brother's experience with cancer and finding running as an outlet for that. And then through my own experience later in high school through a uh, kind of a fluke or freak or tragic sledding accident, I f- went over a jump and flipped off a snow tube and landed on the back of my neck and ended up burst fracturing several of the vertebrae in my spine. And really, you know, my kind of first memories after that start about a week later, being wheeled outside of the intensive care unit and kind of waking up in the hospital bed on ventilators. My lungs had collapsed, you know, all the tubes, everything. And, you know, coming from an athletic background, running in high school, to just waking up the next day in a hospital bed, being told, you know, your life as you know it is over, your athletic career is over, forget the running scholarships to college. You know, I was told I would never graduate high school with my peers, that it would just be impossible to get back to school and to take the exams and time. And it was a very dark time in terms of just suffering, absolute pain. And then, you know, mentally being told, uh, you know, that the rug was ripped out from under you and everything that you had worked so hard for was gone. So it was a really formative moment. And I remember just lying in the hospital bed in absolute pain and kind of not having a clear vision of of what would be next and, and what the outcome would be. But uh, it happened that I was watching TV late one night and the Iron Man 
came on TV and I had never heard of it or seen it before. And it, you know, Iron Man during Kona shares these inspirational stories of people that have under overcome incredible odds from all walks of life. And just listening to their stories, it just sparked a flame with me. And I watched the Kona Ironman race and I was just so enthralled. And I said, I'm going to do that someday. And it was really interesting because I didn't kind of hatch a plan. Like I'm going to go jump on the bike or anything like that. I really believed it was just a calm acceptance of this is my destiny. I'm going to do that someday. I don't know how, I don't know the path back, but I I'm going to get there. And, you know, it was a very long journey back. I'm starting with baby steps, you know, learning to stand again, to balance, to walk. And then nearly a year later to be able to bend over and tie my shoes. And that was a very humbling experience as well to be dependent on other people, to find yourself in a wheelchair. And it took so long to get back that now I feel like I have a very deep appreciation for sport and the power of sport and for being strong and healthy because I remember what it was like to not be able to walk, to not be able to run. So now I feel like I do so with so much joy and gratitude every day. That's actually a story, you know, Nicole and I, for our listeners, do know each other. Um, and that's a story I had never heard. So thank you so much for sharing that. And that, you know, leaves me with goosebumps to, to think of you lying there years ago and seeing the Iron Man on TV and how far you have come and how Aww, proud you make you. so many people all the time. And you're inspiring so many people by competing. So you're passing that inspiration on in so many ways. And I do want to talk to you about your life after college when you moved to Costa Rica. So when you were there, you taught English and you learned to mountain bike there, I believe. So you've written about how surprised people were to see a woman mountain biking with the local men in the group. And ultimately your presence being there even inspired some of the men in Costa Rica to be teaching their daughters to ride, you know, to be like Nicole probably. So we often hear the phrase representation matters. And were you surprised to actually be that embodiment of representation? Because, you know, at that time, it was probably predecessing like the, the big movement for this a little bit, right? So it was all, it's not like, you know, now we kind of think about it. And I think we all make an effort to see it and to call it out and to sometimes be that. But this would have been a time when you probably maybe consciously weren't thinking of that, right? Absolutely. You know, I studied economic development in college. I wanted to go in the Peace Corps. You know, I wanted to do my part to help make the world a better place. And I was working in agriculture systems in Latin America and water and sanitation systems. And ultimately, I was told, as a woman, you can never change a male-dominated government. They will not listen to you. The best you can hope for is a teaching position abroad. So I didn't end up going into the Peace Corps after hearing those stories, but I did live in Latin America and Costa Rica, and I did end up teaching. And, you know, being an athlete, I had tried running down there and it wasn't really safe for running. You were running in the roads with the traffic or on broken sidewalks. However, the men in the small village I was living in were all mountain biking. And so I said, oh, I want to do that. I want to try that. And they started teaching me to mountain bike. And it really was literally like blood, sweat and tears. I was just determined to go out with them and 
and to keep up. And I had no boundaries in my head. I never thought, oh, this is unusual for me to do because I'm a female. I just wanted to bike. But I noticed the impact of being out on the mountain bike with this group of men in the community. Everyone that we would pass, you know, going through town, going through these neighboring towns, the children would say things. They'd call after us. People would turn and look. And I noticed that I had a very strong impact. And for me, what was the most heartwarming was to see the men that I rode with start to teach their daughters to mountain bike. And not just to mountain bike to go out for exercise, but to race because I had begun racing in Costa Rica and had a lot of success mountain bike racing there. And they started teaching their daughters and encouraging them to do that. And then I started seeing the impact of their daughters racing and having this respect and self-confidence for these their bodies, learning how to set goals and believe that anything they wanted was achievable. And so a community that really hadn't had a lot of opportunities for women in the prior generations, all of a sudden had this group of young females growing up and saying, I'm going to college, I'm gonna get a job, you know, waiting to have children till later. There had been quite an issue with um, teenage pregnancy in the town. And so all of a sudden I saw the impact of just getting out on the mountain bike and the impact of sport on the community. So I tried to support it in any way I could. I gave my mountain bike to one of the girls and then encouraged a tri-club back here in the States to start donating water bottles, kits, helmets, shoes, anything that they could to support the growth of the, the young girls mountain biking in the community. And it was incredible because I had wanted to create change and to help and make an impact in Latin America. And I had been so frustrated and I found my voice through cha for change through mountain biking. You know, just going out with the men was that change that I had been seeking. And so I found my power on the bike and my power and my voice for change as an athlete. And, and that's something that I think I've carried with me since is, again, the importance of being out there and inspiring and encouraging others. And that, you know, whether you're having a good day, a bad day, and when you're out training, there are people watching. And to keep that in mind, that you don't know how many other people you're impacting, encouraging and inspiring. Wow. What a story. That's, you know, it's incredible. And I, that is a good reminder to all of us that you don't know who's watching and even, you know, your goals can kind of shift and change and things can happen that wouldn't be expected. But I do want to talk about when you moved back to the United States, I think it was around 2012, you developed the goal of competing in Xterra triathlons. So you joined the mid Maryland triathlon club and, and eventually you did add a tri bike to your stable. And so you did end up trying to balance racing both Ironman and Xterra. So, uh, and I think you even won the, uh, the outrigger double as a top woman finisher at both the Ironman world championships in Kona and the Xterra world championships in Maui in both 2014 and 2015. So how hard is that double and how hard is it to balance both disciplines? <laughs> That's a, a great question. So I first started, you know, with Xterra coming off of mountain biking in Costa Rica. And I thought, oh, well, I can I can swim and run, too. So I'm going to try this. And I found, 
you know, triathlon came very naturally, but then through the mentorship and the support of the tri club that I found back in the States, I was inspired to finally reach that Ironman goal that I had set way back when in the hospital, I I found the resources. They came to me. What I had been looking for without knowing it was the mentorship and guidance from that club. And just listening to the stories of other people who had done Ironman, I thought, oh, wow, this this actually might be something approachable as crazy and insane of a distance as it seemed listening to other people who seemed very normal saying that they had done an Ironman. I thought, well, if they can do it, I think that I can too. And I started the Ironman road racing and really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the distance and training with the club and ended up uh, yeah, having success both with Ironman and Xterra and was fortunate to do the double, which was extremely hard just to qualify for. So to qualify for Kona is extremely hard to qualify for Maui and Xterra. The Xterra World Championships is also extremely hard. So I felt incredibly grateful to get to the finish line at both. And then they take the those that are able to compete in both and they take the combined time from both Kona World Championships and Maui World Championships and they award that as the double award and the Xterra Maui World Championships normally always takes place two weeks after Kona so you're recovering from that Ironman when you have to go into Maui and the conversation inevitably around the Xterra you know pre-race banquet is which is harder Kona or Maui And I have to say, you know, I never had an answer for that because Kona is longer, but Maui will beat you up. Uh, The swim in Maui, you just get rolled by the waves and tossed. Uh, One year, someone broke their arm in the the waves. Uh, There was a typhoon the night before. We went out there and it was just intense, intense water. And you have to go in and out of the water twice the next day. They make it doubly hard. And then you're mountain biking with a ton of climbing on technical hot courses. And then the run, they send you up the side of a volcano and down. So it's, again, a much shorter run, but extremely physical and challenging. And you're pretty beat by the end of of Maui. So I Plus was you're doing it two weeks after Kona. Which exactly. So you're already pretty run down. So by the end, you're just done. <laughs> but I think there, I mean, speaking of broken arms was there's a picture of you, um, with that award, that outrigger double award, I think from 2015 and your arm is in a sling. What, what happened? Uh, Yes. So that was probably another one of the most memorable race experiences of my life. So in 2015, I had what I call my tailwind year. And I really think for me, it's important as an athlete and a racer to have a purpose for racing that is bigger than yourself. And in 2015, I was working with my tri club in Maryland and encouraging other women to get out on the bike, the road bike and the mountain bike. And I felt this deep sense of purpose. I had formed this organization called Lady Champions, and I was reaching out to local bike shops and communities for resources and support to get more women on the bike, get more women in triathlon, get more women mountain biking. At the time, I had looked up the stats and the fields at both 
Kona and Xterra were about 70% and I think even 78% male dominated at Xterra World Championships. And I said, where are all the ladies? Well, we need to get more of them out there. So I had this deep sense of purpose going into Kona that year to represent and hopefully inspire and encourage others. And then the same going into Maui. Um, in Kona that year, I actually placed fifth which was enough to get me up on the podium at the awards. And that was extremely special, had a great, uh, a great race and a solid time. So I went into the Xterra world championships thinking I have a really good shot at defending my title in the double and getting it again this year. And I swam well at Xterra came out of the water ahead jumped on the bike and was midway through the mountain bike when I uh, made an error passing a guy and went down hard. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I broke something. I don't know if I have a hematoma. I was in unbearable pain. But in my head, I just remember thinking my day does not end here. This is not the way this race is supposed to end. And I remember thinking of all the women and men and my track club who had reached out to me and sent me letters and words of encouragement and messages. And I thought, I cannot let them down, you know. And so as bad as it hurt, I knew if I could, like, squeeze my hand around the brakes and get back on the bike, I would continue as far as I could. So I got back on the bike. I was able to squeeze the brakes. I couldn't move my arm without unbearable pain, but I was able to complete the mountain bike. But I do remember in some of the technical sections, just kind of screaming out in pain. And I remember thinking people behind me must think she's nuts. Like they have no idea what's going on. But I finished the bike and I thought, all right, let's try the run. Let's see how we can do this. And I just kind of had my arm hanging limp at my side. I couldn't move it. I couldn't look at my watch. I couldn't get the nutrition in. And, you know, while I had been down on the bike, my competition had passed me. And I remember thinking, you know what? It's okay. Just finish the race, finish what you started. And then surprisingly enough on the run, I started passing them. And it was just insane. And I just kept running, just trying to get to that finish line. And I came through the finish and it was one of those moments that I've never been so proud of where it hurt so much, but I just knew that I had accomplished what I had set out to do that day. And in the end, I didn't care, you know, how I finished. It was about finishing what I had started. And then I found out later that I came in third and I was able to defend my title for the double award, which was super special. So there I was on the podium with my arm in a sling. So a reminder of the moment that I felt like life told me to step up. You know, I had always said, you're stronger than you know. You can do more than you think you can. I had encouraged other women and I felt like that was life saying to me, oh yeah, prove it. Like show us how deeply you believe this. And that's something I believe with everything in my soul. So that race was a testament, I feel like, to my values as an athlete. So, Nicole, it seems like you're kind of an early adopter type of person, right? You're not afraid to take on these big challenges to, you know, see what you're passionate about and really make some things happen based off of that. Um, even if it takes you kind of off of the mainstream path to success, which, you know, a lot of other people kind of tend to just stay on because it's a little bit safer. So 
Do you have advice for people who might be like nervous to enter a new territory, whether it's racing alone or picking up a mountain bike for the first time? Or do you have any advice for how to find the courage to take that first step to start a local club, to start their own lady champions, to get more people out there and like, you know, not let the fear kind of overtake them? Yeah, I have to say fear is something that I've come to recognize when you have those butterflies in your stomach, when you have that fear, it means you're on to a good thing. You are stepping outside of your comfort zone. It's a growth opportunity. So whenever you feel slightly scared about something, and this has happened so many times in Ironman races now as a pro athlete where I've flown overseas to some crazy comp- like uh, country with my bike that I've never been to before. I don't speak the language. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And I have that fear. I think, oh, we are doing something big here, something really special. This is a growth opportunity. So I would say, listen to that fear as an indicator that you are making the right step forward. And then look for the resources and the support around you. Look for local groups, local clubs, friends. And and something that I found is really powerful is the impact of seeing someone you know do something it's, it's something that I almost call, well, she can do it, so I can too. And I've seen that happen so many times and is also motivation for me to try to act as a role model because I know when one person takes that step, the others follow. So all boats rise with the tide, right? We encourage and support each other to take that next step, which I think is so important. So I applaud anyone that has the courage to take that step and bring others with them and encourage and motivate others to do it, as well as to look for the resources, the clubs and the support and the people who can help you around you. Because people are always willing to help if if you're humble and you're willing to ask for it and admit that you're a little scared or you're not sure what you're doing. There's always people that that are willing to help out. And speaking of that help, we've, we mentioned the mid Maryland triathlon club. And from what you've written about that, that team, it seems like they were very supportive and a close knit group provided you with a lot of those resources to get you started. So when you decided to move um, out of the Maryland and DC area to Boulder, I think it was around 2016. Was it hard to leave that club and all the people who had kind of helped kickstart your triathlon career? Absolutely. It was so hard to leave that community, but I felt like, again, it was the next step for me. It was a growth opportunity. So Boulder is a a mecca of athletes and coaches and knowledge on triathlon, endurance sports and training. And I just felt like I had this amazing opportunity to take that next step to learn what I could out here and then to share that with the club and share that with others that had come my way. So I felt almost like it was my duty as ambassador to the club to, uh, you know, take that step, challenge myself to rise to the level out here and learn what I could. And personally for you, that move meant that you'd be leaving your stable job in marketing and financial services to not only move to Boulder, but also to then start racing as a professional. So we love to highlight women who are doing that and, you know, hopefully encouraging some of our listeners out there to that it is, you know, possible. And can you tell us like a little bit about that side of it? Was that hard, you know, to go from the stability of the paycheck coming in every other week or every month, whatever it is, and then going to like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing for steady income, you know, was that hard? 
Oh, absolutely. I have to say that was so, so hard. And maybe one of the biggest shockers to me of of turning pro is the instability that you have in terms of there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees with race winnings. There's no guarantees with sponsorship. You know, there's no money coming out. You, you have to find it and you have to work your butt off to try to get ahead and to try to do well. And, you know, I, I learned very deep respect for the pro field just seeing how incredibly hard and grueling it is day after day and the sacrifices that you put in and having to dedicate all your time to training as well as trying to make an income. And it leaves very little room for a social life, for other activities, you know, and and that was challenging to realize that you had to have that vision and that belief and be willing to just work your butt off and you know, just being pro over the last three years, that's been the biggest thing is the financial instability and insecurity. And so I really feel like it is my end goal to at some point be able to give back and support upcoming athletes because I see how freaking hard it is financially to make it, um, and, and balancing different types of jobs, you know, versus what was a a very steady income and, and paycheck and lifestyle. But, you know, it's one of those things where you say, all right, if you're you're going to go for your dreams, you better go for it. And I went all in, you know, kind of no fear, no regrets. And you accept the consequences and you just keep working hard. So in 2017, you really had a breakout year. You had several top five finishes and the third place podium results that we mentioned earlier at both Ironman France and Ironman Louisville. So did those results kind of validate that decision to move and did it make that, you know, that really uncomfortable period of uncertainty totally worth it? Absolutely. And it was so rewarding to see results. And, you know, the results don't come immediately. And that's something, you know, I had accepted that it was going to be hard work. But it was really gratifying to see after a few years of working quite hard, working with the coaches, kind of developing that strength, developing that knowledge of how to race in the pro field to start seeing the results. And it was just, you know, incredibly rewarding. And, you know, it goes back to you get out of something what you put in. And at that point, you know, I was definitely all in and working as hard as I possibly could at it. So, Nicole, in the fall of 2018, you raced Ironman Taiwan, and you've described that race as hitting a physical, mental, and emotional wall, which led you to end your season early, and you took an extended break. So, it's been about 11 months since that race. Can you tell us, like, if you've, by this point, have you been able to look back and kind of figure out what got you to that breaking point? Yes, absolutely. So I think that was the result of going all in with being pro. So pushing myself to the limit every single day, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And, you know, in the end, something's got to give. And I had just pushed myself so hard that I literally just pushed myself to the breaking point. And I had been getting warning signs. Um, You know, I had been getting my blood tested out here in Boulder. Training at altitude is extremely hard, um, especially for females. And you have to be really cognizant of your iron levels, of your nutritional needs. And that was something that I struggled with. And I don't think I did quite good enough 
job. And so the doctors were kind of warning me, your blood work is not looking good. We're seeing a lot of breakdown, but I just kind of kept pushing myself. And then I started getting emotional signs. So during workouts, I started to get emotional outside of workouts. And I was like, what's wrong with me? My hormones were totally off, but I, I wasn't about to give up or quit. I kept pushing myself. I kept trying to race because it was what I loved, right? And kind of ignoring the warning signs that it might be time to kind of give myself a rest. And so Taiwan was literally kind of hitting the wall. I went into the race, pumped up to race. And then during that run on the Ironman, and usually I'm a runner, I enjoy the run. But during that run, I have to say it was the most painful marathon I've ever done in my life where the body was like, you know what, we're done here. It did not want to run that marathon. And that was kind of the final uh, straw in the, in the wake up call for me that it was time to take a step back after pushing super hard for three years. And I found that I needed to take a step back and give the, the body a physical break as well as the mind. You know, I had gone into the pro career from that tailwind year where I had a very deep sense of purpose, of giving back, of supporting others. And I felt that somewhere along the way of the pro career that I was becoming a little bit more withdrawn. And it wasn't purposeful, but the lifestyle of literally running from training to work left me very little time to kind of reach out and encourage others and support others and support the way that I wanted to. I just felt so time constricted. So after that last race in the fall, I felt, you know what, it's time to reassess and, and make sure that I still have my sense of purpose with triathlon. And, you know, kind of coming out of that, I, I took the winter, I took the time off to reconnect with friends, with other athletes. I stopped following a training schedule because I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I need a big break from triathlon. But what I found was that I woke up every day and I just wanted to swim, bike and run. And I knew that that was what I love to do without a doubt. So I realized I just wanted to continue challenging myself as an athlete and in a new way. So this year I've really focused on the mountain biking and I've also had a, a foot injury. I've had plantar. So that's kind of been the other reason I haven't been able to do Ironman races. So I've been using the challenges that have come up and just trying to turn them into opportunities. And I found that this has been such an incredibly rewarding and enriching and year of growth by, uh, you know, needing to take that time to challenge myself differently. So doing some road races, doing some crit races, which kind of terrified me honing in my bike skills, getting back into mountain biking, and then reconnecting with community groups and clubs and local organizations and supporting and encouraging other athletes. So again, I'm feeling my sense of purpose and feeling, again, very enriched by sport and what I'm doing with sport. So I feel like it was important to, to, to take that step back at the end of last year and reassess. It is interesting to hear you talk about taking that step away from the race circuit, but not completely exiting the sport. Like, like you've mentioned, I've noticed that you were a regular at some of Rachel Joyce and Dana Platon's 
Rainus events. I caught up with you at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit last year. And, you know, you've already mentioned that you work the work you do with programs like First Descents. So is that, you know, was that what you would say that there is more to the sport than just finish lines? Absolutely. And you know what? I think one of the most impactful things that another female athlete has said to me, Catherine Bertine, who is a very influential professional female cyclist who created the film Half the Road, which, you know, everyone I think has to see about the state of the women's professional field in cycling. You know what she said to me was, I may not have been the fastest or the best professional female cyclist, but I made an impact. And I've always carried that with me and really thought about that. And I was like, she is right. You know, at the end of the day, no one's going to remember your finishes. You know, maybe you will, maybe you'll look back at them. But I think at the end of the day, you will absolutely remember how you impacted and supported and encouraged others. And I've always seen sport as a vehicle, a vehicle to motivate others to set goals, to take steps, to think beyond their current situation and to work towards something bigger. And I've also seen sport as a vehicle to break down boundaries, you know, whether it's cultural Um, you know, whether it's your background that you're coming from, you know, sport certainly has a way of, uh, you know, setting an equal playing field, I feel like. And, and so it's been very important to me to participate in sport and use it for something bigger. And that's really what I'm looking to do. So at the end of the day, I realized it's not about the finish line. I think our listeners will have no doubt about the impact you're creating, Nicole. And we're a part of the sport that you're creating that impact in. And thank you. While that you means so much while coming you, from you two ladies <laughs> <laughs> who have made such an impact and are my role models. So passing on the baton from one female to the next. I love it. Exactly. And we do have to ask because you are on the Smash Fest Queen Noon Pro Team with us. And Since this podcast is also proudly sponsored by both companies, can you tell us what's your favorite piece of Smashfest Queen apparel and your favorite noon hydration product at the moment? (laughs) Oh, there's so many. I actually love the Smashfest Queen jackets that we have that came out after you ran your FKT that they made with Ultimate Direction that are the water repellents. Those are amazing. And then, of course, my favorite kit. Um, oh, gosh, I feel like there's too many to choose. They keep coming out with more and more amazing ones. So I have to say, just follow Smash Fest Queen. And then with Noon, my favorite product is definitely the Endurance Lemon Lime. So I love the flavor. And you know what? I found using that product more and more with training this year that it's been a lot gentler on my stomach. So that's made racing a lot more enjoyable for sure. I'm a big fan of the noon endurance lemon lime as well. So you have my vote there as well. But Nicole, now that you've had this recent dose of the trails, do you think you'll be doing more mountain bike races, maybe a return to Xterra as your foot heals? And do you think it's possible to race professional trail and road races at the same time? 
Absolutely. So I am definitely getting back into Xterra in the pro field, which is a huge honor. So I'll be racing at nationals coming up in September. And then I am looking to continue the road racing as well and, and hoping that I'm getting over the planter and can get some half Ironman races on the schedule starting this fall. So I have to say, I, I really love doing both and I, I, I'm looking forward to, to doing both. We'll see, you know, I might not have as much success in either, but it'll be a whole lot of fun for sure. Well, I, we will all enjoy following along with your ex, upcoming Xterra and we'll make sure to put a link to your social media in the show notes so people can watch for your return to the road racing as well. But Nicole, thank you so much for the inspiration today and for spending time with us and we will catch up with you again soon. Thank you, ladies. Such an honor. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right. And do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to Nicole's story. I know I learned more about her than ever before, and she's just very inspiring. So thanks, Nicole, for taking time to talk to me and Haley. And everyone, we will be back next week in our regular format. But in the meantime, please go and rate and review us on your podcasting app. That does help us a lot. Consider joining us as a patron and uh, becoming a member of our community that way, which helps support us and bring you content every week. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. Also, don't forget to check out the opportunities at the Outspoken Summit. Again, we have on OutspokenSummit.com the list of people going there. And a lot of breakout sessions are happening. Something I think you'll find interesting is that Stacey Sims will be there with a breakout session on performance through aging, menopause, and beyond. So a lot of good things. You can check out what's coming there on the website. And, of course, thank you to producer Stephanie Mitchell for joining us. We appreciate you and all of our listeners and Haley and I will be back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FQC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. Eating my gross seaweed white rice. <laughs> gross. <laughs>
I had rice that was delicious with chicken mm. and, and regular vegetables like broccoli. <laughs> it didn't taste like fish. Oh my god. Should we stop this recording while we're saying this? Because I like have this fear that like it'll go on. Yeah. Then what happens if somehow this got released?